0: welcome to abstract colon, the future of science i'm your host jeremy Ullman, and today as always we are bringing unprecedented accessibility to graduate research we recorded in the past you're listening in the present and we're discussing the future of science enjoy the show Welcome back to Abstract, another great episode ahead of us. Today we have a very, very special guest. I know I always say that, but I always mean it. So today we have none other than Casey Cohen joining us for an absolutely fun-filled and jam-packed episode. It hasn't happened yet, but I can only assume it will be just those things. So without further ado, let us welcome Casey onto the show. Casey, how's it going?
1: going very well, Jeremy, thank you for that fun introduction.
0: <laughs> no problem, that is my job here, so let's get things going. Before we hop into the discussion of your research as we do, please give us a little introduction of yourself. Who are you? What are you doing here?
1: Sure, so my name is Casey and I'm a PhD candidate in experimental medicine at McGill University. And my research project focuses on peanut allergy, particularly evaluating different processing methods like roasting or boiling and their effects on allergenicity. In fact, I am allergic to peanuts myself, but the specific form of allergy that I have puts me at a very low risk of experiencing an anaphylactic reaction to peanuts. That is the lethal, deadly allergic reaction that we hear about in the news, unfortunately. So this actually makes me kind of an ideal candidate for this type of work. And uh, the ultimate goal of my research is to develop a modified peanut that can be used as a safer and more efficacious substrate for peanut allergy treatments in the future.
0: I like how you say modified peanut, because you're you're really keeping us on the edge right now. We're all thinking, what does modified mean? And I'm sure we're going to get there. So to actually get an allergic reaction to a substance like peanut... Is there a minimum amount of peanut material that needs to be present?
1: Yes, that's a good question. The Basically, um, the short answer is that varies considerably from patient to patient. In terms of those that are most sensitive to peanut with their allergy, it could go as low as fractions of milligrams uh, of doses of peanut that can trigger a reaction. So that's why uh, it's a rule, it's a law to right may contain any of the major allergens on their foods because very small traces can result in reactions in certain patients.
0: Interesting. So there are different processing methods you've mentioned already for peanuts. Let's actually talk a little bit about what each of those does to the peanut and we'll just kind of run the whole gamut.
1: So the panel that I've been looking at really have looked at the raw peanut, which is no processing at all. Roasted peanuts, where we just put them in an oven for a half hour and let them roast. Boiled peanuts, where we boil them in water at 100 degrees for about two hours. And the most recent and maybe interesting one is the autoclaved peanuts. And the autoclave is a high pressure, high vapor, high temperature sterilizer that is used to sterilize a lot of lab equipment, metal and glass and whatnot. And we decided to put these peanuts in the autoclave and see how that would affect the structure of the peanut.
0: Interesting. That would make it seem like the problem or rather the allergens of the peanut are only on their surface. Like when you clean lab equipment, you're not cleaning like inside of the metal, you're cleaning the surface. So, do we expect or do we know that most of the allergen of the peanut is on the surface? Kind of like when you get like a like a hot pepper, a lot of the spiciness is actually the oil on the skin right? Mm -hmm. Is it the same kind of idea?
1: Let's take a little step back here and talk about what the allergen is. When we say allergen, that is what people are allergic to. The immune system we know is there to protect us against harmful pathogens, pathogens such as bacteria or viruses. Now, an important job for the immune system is to distinguish one between something that is self versus non-self, meaning something that is natural in your body versus something that isn't. And then a second job it has to do is to distinguish between something that is harmful and something that is not. In the case of food allergies, we have a dysregulated immune response where the immune system is recognizing food, or in this case peanut, as harmful, which we all know they cannot kill us, which certain bacteria or viruses actually can. So we need that response. So we call these hypersensitive reactions in the sense that the immune system is being oversensitive to certain agents. In this case, we call them allergens, and they are protein molecules of different foods.
0: Uh huh. So there's a sort of subjectivity of harmfulness then in our environment. Mm-hmm. That's kind of that's kind of wacky. We actually learn
1: that there's four major types of pathogens: those being bacteria, viruses, fungus, or parasites. Okay. Yeah, and those are the four major ones that the immune system has to deal with and protect against. There are probably other types of harmful things as well, like different chemicals and stuff, but those are not really alive per se. Okay, so a
0: pathogen is a live harmful thing.
1: I may have opened up a whole can of worms to other things because there's a whole debate on viruses themselves. Are viruses alive, which we will not get into in this uh, talk, Sure. but viruses in themselves, right? They're not a cell. They need another cell to replicate, and cell is the basic unit of life, and so on. However, we still consider viruses as pathogens because they can harm humans.
0: Okay, but we do not consider peanut as a pathogen because it does not universally harm humans.
1: Right, exactly. Peanut would not be a pathogen. It's more that peanut allergy is a condition we're trying to treat.
0: I am amazed at how there are people who have passed on their genetics, generation after generation, who have this anaphylactic allergy, potentially, to peanuts, peanuts being a food which is so essential to life. How have these people actually survived? How, has that, how have their genetics been passed on? How have they not been weeded out from selection, like natural selection almost, from the human population?
1: Well, one thing there that you said is making this assumption that allergies are genetic, right? If they were, then you'd have a great question. How is that even possible? But it's believed that some genes play a role. However, it's not the primary role. I mean, the short answer, we don't really know what the true cause is. But what we do know is that food allergies are a relatively new problem. I mean, when our parents were were kids, they didn't hear about food allergies at school, nowhere near the amount that we did when we were in elementary school, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for sure. So in the past, let's say century or two at most, it's it's a relatively new problem, This uh, the peanut and food allergies. What has happened in the past decades to a century that we're getting this rather steep increase in food allergy all around the world? Mm-hmm. There are a few theories. Have you ever heard of the hygiene hypothesis?
0: No, please do share.
1: The hygiene hypothesis is this idea that families and people in westernized countries are over sterilizing their homes, that their babies growing up in these very sterile environments are no longer exposed to all these different pathogens that they would have been many centuries ago, and that now their immune system is kind of either not sure what to do, looking at certain things as foreign when they're not, or having just difficulty in breaking down some of these complex molecules that it kind of treats it as we can't deal with this, you know, 911 emergency throughout the whole body triggering this very dangerous reaction.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, so I have actually heard of the, the hygiene hypothesis before, just not under that specific name. It does sound kind of crazy that in a sense, our immune system has to actually fight things off in the early part of our life to be able to better fight things off in the later part of our life. It's like a – like this mandatory training phase. Things have to get worse before they can get better. You have to get sick. You have to be exposed to these pathogens so that your body can actually learn how to deal with it, with its environment. Is that kind of the – like the thesis behind this whole hypothesis?
1: Yeah. And I mean I would – I don't know if I'd go as far to say we need to get sick, but we need to at least be exposed, right? Okay. So – the exposure does not have to result in a sickness or anything negative per se, but I think just having it being there does help a lot in terms of inducing tolerance. That's how we call it, which kind of leads to another thing that we could talk about very soon next, but go with what you were about well, to say.
0: I was I was just going to prop for the second theory. I'm, I'm excited to hear what the second theory is.
1: Another interesting one that is based more on science, let's say. If we go back maybe 20 years ago from today... Um There was a time when allergists and physicians, doctors were told that the recommendation to all parents is now to avoid feeding these high-risk foods, high risk of developing an allergy to these foods, um, to avoid giving any of these foods to their babies until the age of three. This was after multiple decades of food allergy increasing. After about a few years of this recommendation, they did not see a decline in the rates of food allergy, but they actually saw an increase still. They were puzzled. Mm-hmm. A physician, an allergist in the UK named Gideon Lack, once did a study actually in Israel, where um, when he went to Israel, he asked all these doctors there what the rate of peanut allergy was. And unlike all the other places he went to and asked, in Israel, he had maybe a fraction of them saying that they saw a case in the past year of peanut allergy. They then realized a very interesting part of life in Israel and growing up there is this food called bamba, which are these basically cheesy puffs, but instead of the cheese, it's using, it's made with peanut butter. So this kind of made Dr. Gideon Lack proceed to this next study, where he really looked at this, compared groups in United Kingdom and in Israel, controlled as many variables as he can, and then looked at the rate of peanut allergy in both at the end of a certain period of time, where the United Kingdom group was told, avoid until the age of three. Those in Israel were told, live the same life you've been living, give it to them as early as you would have otherwise. And the rate of peanut allergy was actually 10 times higher in the United Kingdom, when compared to Israel. Whoa. So this was really, they call it a, a landmark study because this really helped in disproving this idea of avoiding any of your, the major allergens until a certain age. This really showed that introducing early and orally is um, very important into inducing tolerance.
0: It's almost like, like in Israel, they're culturally creating this immunity, like in terms of the, the lifestyle and, and the food that they're eating, which is, it, it really sounds very similar to what we were saying before about, about pathogens. This is like the food version of the hygiene hypothesis. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. essentially, Right. So it's almost like when we give vaccines to all these children at a young age, because we want to, you know, immunize them to these harmful pathogens, the idea is kind of similar. If we give the children, these foods that might be at higher risk for developing allergy to them later on, if we give it to them as early as possible, that's kind of a way of protecting them towards them or inducing tolerance, as we say, um, as early as possible. And the later you do it, the, the more difficult it may be to do that, to induce that.
0: Are human beings born with peanut allergy or is it only something that is then developed later?
1: The answer to that question is no, from what we know. And the reason for this is because the mechanism of food allergy is separated into, let's say, a sensitization phase where upon one of the first exposures to a food, patient actually becomes allergic. However, they don't have any reaction yet. Then upon further exposure to that food, they will experience that reaction because they actually already saw it before and their body mm. already deemed this is dangerous. That's
0: so weird that the first it's like, oh, I didn't know that thing existed. I didn't know peanut was part of the universe. Now I know, and I have made the executive decision. I'm speaking on behalf of the body and the immune system. I, The the all-encompassing immune system says this is a bad thing. I'm going to chill for now, though. Next time, we'll be ready.
1: Mm -hmm. In people who are allergic, their body is really thinking, we're ready for war next time we see this guy. Uh Another thing, though, that is, I think, very interesting that will answer this question even more, going back to our story with Dr. Gideon Lack, Another experiment was done using animal models, taking mice and taking little scratches in their skin and taking peanuts and actually rubbing peanuts on those little scratches in their skin. After a few uh, further exposures, when they ate peanuts, they experienced this anaphylactic reaction to peanut. What this means what, in terms of how we, how we translate this to um, humans a very interesting analogy I once heard is if someone knocks on your door in the front door, you will open the door and welcome them with open arms, usually, maybe not as much these days. But mm-hmm. um, if that same person came to your back door or to your upstairs window and you hear glass shattering, you're probably not going to welcome them as nearly as positively as you would have in the front door, right? This analogy uh, is to say that early and oral introduction of these foods is essential to inducing tolerance. Mm -hmm. Now, another uh, important point that I probably should have said earlier is that it it was known that those who have severe eczema, eczema is a skin barrier dysfunction where your skin does not do a great job at protecting things from coming in. Those who have moderate to severe eczema have also shown to be at higher risk for peanut allergy. Wow.
0: Wow. That's amazing. I love the interdisciplinarity of that. I, I assumed that the, these two kind of research projects were quite independent and then came together in this beautiful symbiosis where there's something in like a dermatology lab and then there's something in this rat lab. That's that's incredible.
1: What we're saying is even if peanut is not in the home, it you might be somewhere where there are peanuts there and it's like this peanut dust you can't see, smell, or, or feel, but it actually might be there and that could be triggering this sensitization process, meaning making these people and these babies allergic to uh, peanuts. Uh
0: Maybe all this invisible peanut dust is actually what we now call dark matter. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Now it's
1: messing with our immune system now. Maybe it is peanut dust. I don't know.
0: (laughs) So, so this is, I'm, I'm glad that you're talking about other kinds of foods. I was always curious why peanuts of all nuts, like, I know that there are people who have allergies to tree nuts. I remember that, hearing about that when I was younger. But peanuts are like the big one. What do, like, how do peanuts differ from other nuts specifically in their, my favorite word here,
1: allergenicity? Mm -hmm. Well, the first thing I need to say is peanuts are not nuts. They are actually legumes. Right. People always focus on the nut part of peanuts and not on the pea part of peanuts.
0: That's only be- – I'm not going to go on a huge linguistic rant, but that's just specifically <laughs> when we have compound words. In English, the second word is usually considered more of a root. So we think it, it is a nut first and foremost. What kind of nut? The P modifies that root, and so we say it is the P type.
1: So I guess that makes sense why people focus on the nut part more. I would say though, that's probably way back then when they first discovered peanuts, they said, oh, these must be a nut, but they're also kind of like a pea in the sense that if you've ever seen a peanut, we know that, that, you know, almost like that figure eight shape or Mr. Peanut, there are two seeds in one pod. Technically speaking, a nut is one seed in its own pod, whereas- now when we have crazy. <laughs> for legumes crazy. you can have multiple p- uh, seeds in the same pod like peas and yeah, peas course. in a pod soybeans peanuts they all come multiple in one pod
0: this is so good i love this i think i often forget that peanuts come in pairs because usually you buy peanuts like out of the shell
1: right and also not not all peanuts are only in pairs Is that 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 Mr. Peanut Guy is in a pair, but there are many of them that could be three or four in the same pod. Almost like what? soybeans or peas.
0: No way! You can get, like, a string. That's kind of like what happens when I buy Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Sometimes they actually don't slice the cereal into squares and I get, like, a rectangular elongated Cinnamon Toast Crunch. If anyone's listening and knows what I'm talking about, we are kindred spirits. But anyhow, that's incredible. So the difference is that peanuts are legumes. Is that the really the only reason why we don't see like so many other nuts because it isn't a nut thing rather?
1: There is more to it, right? Because you don't hear of pea allergy as that ubiquitous either, right? N- nuts <laughs> are actually – there are still quite a substantial uh, proportion of the population that are uh, allergic to tree nuts. We call them tree nuts because they grow on trees. Uh, peanuts Mind themselves whoa. actually – Yeah, exactly. Um, peanuts actually grow under the ground. Standard Standard peanut behavior. They used to call them ground nuts or really? goobers.
0: Goobers. Are we all goofy goobers?
1: Exactly. If you remember in SpongeBob SquarePants, we're uh-huh. Goofy Goober, I believe there is a big peanut singing with them. Oh, goofy go-
0: what abstract hole in the future of science is all about it's the future but we're also digging into our deep dark past hashtag spongebob squarepants moving forward
1: to answer the question before on why peanuts short answer again is we don't really know yet but that's actually a big component of my project is to understand what is going on in the peanut at the molecular level what we do know already is that peanut has very high protein content very high oil content which makes it a bit unique in that sense. However, it's not just the protein content, but it's it's what we call the, the protein matrix. What that means is the way these protein molecules are actually organized in the flesh of the peanut. Every protein has a function, as we know, and the function of many of these peanut proteins that are allergens is really just, they call it seed storage protein. What that means is it's really what makes the peanut what it is. And the way they're organized, they call them these protein bodies where you have all these proteins jam-packed together into these little, under a microscope, they look almost like bubbles. But it's believed, what I believe is that because it's in such a tightly packed, organized structure, it makes it very common for people to have difficulty in digesting these, breaking them down into smaller pieces. It might be more likely that this would result in being seen as something foreign to one's immune system.
0: So this sounds like you're just talking about kind of one mechanism of allergy, which is allergy to foods. I don't eat pollen, but I'm allergic to pollen. I have hay fever. So wh- what's the difference, like uh, even on like maybe a biochemical level, between allergy to food and allergy to pollen? I assume in Israel, they're, they're not feeding babies pollen or doing that hopefully anywhere on the planet, What's the difference here between the food and the non-food?
1: That's a good, that's a very good question. What is in common to all of these, we call them allergic diseases, which is not just food, which is not just even allergies, which we actually, in these allergic diseases, we also have eczema or atopic dermatitis, but we also have asthma too. Now, what is in common Mm. to all of these is a specific antibody in our body that we call IgE, immunoglobulin, but the E kind, a specific one. In all of these allergic diseases, you have the development of these IgE antibodies that bind to a specific allergen. And in all these cases, if you're allergic to peanuts, if you're allergic to pollen, if you're allergic to cats, these IgE antibodies will bind to proteins of these different allergens. In the case of asthma or eczema, it doesn't have to be a specific allergen, but really it could be any sort of, uh, we call them uh, triggers, that could maybe exacerbate certain symptoms Mm -hmm. of that. But what's in common to all is the IgE. When the IgE antibody finds what it is made to bind to, that's what triggers all these symptoms of allergy. And that can range from anywhere from the hives, swelling, the itchiness, the redness, the inflammation, the rush of immune cells to this local site of, normally we'd call it infection, but in this case there is no Really, infection. So it's really to the site where the body found it. And then in the case of anaphylaxis, there's no site anymore. It's kind of a, a systemic reaction throughout the whole body, and that's when it gets much more dangerous.
0: Wow, I really like that. There was a great answer to that question, which is this: uh, IgE. It's good to know that there's some sense behind the scenes mm-hmm. of why we see these kinds of patterns. Are there any processing methods? We're we're diving way back to early in the episode. Are there any processing methods? that actually make peanuts more allergenic? Or does peanut manipulation always lead to a decrease in allergenicity, or have no effect at all?
1: I I love that you brought this question up again, because in the case of egg and milk allergy, it's actually proven that many individuals who have this allergy can tolerate baked forms of the food, whether baked egg or milk products, when they still cannot tolerate the raw forms of it. And doctors will sometimes encourage these patients to continue eating the baked form because it might actually be inducing tolerance to the raw form as well by eating it. In the case of peanuts, when we roast it, simply heating it, patients certainly cannot tolerate it. And there's actually been some evidence that points to the idea that roasting peanuts actually makes it more allergenic. This idea has kind of gone back and forth. There's a lot of evidence kind of on on both sides. So it's not so clear. But what we do know for sure is that roasting the peanut does not decrease its allergenicity. So that's where my project kind of comes in. What we're saying is, okay, we know that simply heating it by roasting will not make it less allergenic. But what if we can find another processing method that could do a similar thing that, uh, you know, baking egg or milk does, but do that for peanuts? And ideally, that allergic people can eat and tolerate while also inducing tolerance to the normal peanut. Because let's face it, we will not change the way the whole world will process their peanuts, but we can find a way to ideally treat those who are allergic so that they can go out to the world and eat any form of peanuts. What is the
0: current treatment for peanut allergy, if there is one? I know people, um, if they're actually having a reaction, they can get the EpiPen. Is there something else, like preemptive?
1: Right. So right now, the the current treatment for all food allergies, one that is agreed upon by everyone, is strict avoidance, they call it, which really is no treatment at all, um, which is just avoiding any foods that would contain any traces that contain their allergen. Now, there is, uh, there has been some promise in recent years with this technique called oral immunotherapy, or OIT. This is a treatment where allergic individuals, in the case of peanut, will start at a very low dose of peanut and increase the dose incrementally until they reach this maintenance phase. So what I'm trying to do is create a a modified peanut or processing the peanut in a different way that would help us create a new substrate to use for OIT because the current one, which is using raw or roasted peanuts, can only reach uh, a maximum level of three or five peanuts. Interesting. So that's where uh, really for my project, the, the autoclave peanut comes in the sterilizing process. We What what, what I think is that when we put these peanuts in the autoclave, because of the very high vapor pressure, meaning using water at a very high pressure in this chamber to increase the temperature, when we do that, afterwards, we get some very interesting results in the sense that we see a big decrease in IgE binding, we see a decrease in allergen content overall in the peanuts. So what we believe is that maybe this high pressure and water is actually kind of going into the peanut and kind of breaking these very complex structures, kind of doing a lot of the hard digesting part Mm -hmm. before it gets to the patient.
0: I like this idea of mechanical
1: digestion,
0: or in this case, digestion by high pressure water molecules. (laughs) It sounds like the future, you know, like it doesn't sound like the past.
1: Yeah, and I mean, what is digestion really? Really, digest means just breaking things down, right?
0: Yeah, we use the word digest even when we're just talking about complex concepts. Let's break this down so it's a little more digestible. Like we've even kind of...
1: Literally, right? Exactly. So digesting means break it down. So if we could find a processing method that can break it down into smaller pieces, and then we can use that ideally to give to patients so that they can develop tolerance to it.
0: I would love to see... An autoclave peanut butter on the shelves at IGA next time I go there. Autoclave peanut butter. Let's make it a thing. I hope you have a GoFundMe because if you're listening right now, there is money coming. Your Okay, I can't promise any of that. However, what I can say is the following, which is not a thing I'm going to say. It's a thing I'm going to ask. What do you think the modified peanut of the future will be like? Is it the autoclave peanut? Are you that confident? Is it something else we haven't discovered yet? Are there other cutting-edge technologies currently being used to manipulate peanut?
1: There are some trials going on right now using the boiled peanut. You're taking the peanuts, putting them in water, and boiling them. Boiling has been shown to have a lot less of these allergens as well, and this is because when we boil it, a lot of the proteins are actually leaching out into the cooking water. And this has been proven by boiling peanuts and then analyzing the peanut as well as the cooking water. But what is different between the boiling and the autoclaving is the boiling is kind of diluting the allergen, whereas the autoclaving is changing it to a certain degree, right? It's changing the structure of these molecules, Mm -hmm. maybe breaking them apart, maybe fragmenting them, maybe many other things. And that's kind of the rest of my project is to try and understand what is happening when we autoclave these peanuts. But this may be a very important step that can help us treat food allergies in the future. Well, let's say peanut for now.
0: I'm really curious to know what happens with the rest of your research. I'd love to have you back on the show in some time when you've got some incredible results, either proving this belief that you have or not, because I want to know what the future of peanut looks like. And we've gotten just a small glimpse today, which is amazing. I just want to finish on one, one particular note, which is, What is the single most important takeaway you want for myself and the audience so that we can do something to take what we just learned and put it into action, change our lives in some way? What should we know so that we can become better versions of ourselves, better equipped to handle peanuts and life? Go.
1: So if I were to come up with uh, one takeaway here, if you're a parent out there, introduce all foods slowly and small amounts to your babies as early as possible. In the case of peanuts, there is one exception, is just for those who have moderate to severe eczema and or other food allergies, they should go and see their doctor first before introducing any foods to them because those would be uh, at highest risk for the allergy. But to the average person, what is the most important takeaway? approximately one in 13 Canadians have a food allergy about one percent of all children in the united states and canada are believed to be allergic to peanuts that's this doesn't sound like a lot
0: but like i mean winning like if there's a 100 chance of winning the lottery you'd be like oh my god like i'm thrilled because the likelihood right. is pretty great except imagine if instead of the lottery it was allergy to peanut
1: right and living a life a whole different way mm-hmm.
0: Wow. Okay. What What an absolute whirlwind. What a pleasure. What a treat. What an experience. What a day. Casey, thank you so much for joining me today on Abstract. It was really nice touching base. Reconnecting again has been awesome. Thank you so much and have an awesome day.
1: Thank you very much, Jeremy. This was great. Hope to talk to you soon. Likewise. Cheers, man.
0: Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, you can check us out at abstractcast on Instagram. If you have any feedback, please feel free to leave a comment on the post for the current or any previous episode that you might have listened to. Or if you're a graduate student and you would like to be on the podcast yourself, you can drop us a line at abstractcast at gmail.com. This podcast will be released weekly on Sundays and is also available on Spotify. Apple Podcasts, and pretty much everywhere else you're going to find podcasts, so feel free to check us out around the internet. Until then, take it easy. Oh,
1: I'm a Goofy Goober, yeah! yeah. You're a Goofy Goober, yeah. yeah! We're all Goofy Goobers, yeah! yeah. Goofy, goofy Goober, goober, goober yeah!